Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Here's where I want to start today. I want to jump right on in. If life is hard for you right now, today is for you. It's for you. Now, no, not everybody is in that spot. Everybody streaming online is not in that spot. Uh, Some of us came in, your life is great. This week was great. Life is awesome. That's okay. But for those of you where life is hard right now, and you feel like some of the people, maybe in that video, you feel weary, you feel weak, burdened, discouraged, empty, hurting, today is for you. Today is for you. Now, when we look at the chaos of our world, and all that's going on, what would make people feel this way? All you have to do is just look on the outside of our lives, what you see on the internet, what you see on the news, and my goodness, it's all bad news. There's 21 months of an ongoing pandemic, political uh, upheaval, economic collapses, geopolitical disasters, and natural disasters like we just saw in Kentucky through the Midwest of our nation last week with those horrible tornadoes that claimed all those lives. My goodness. But what we really know to be true is that when life is hard, it's not just because of things that might be going on the outside, but what's going on in my life that never makes news headlines, but still is broken nonetheless in your life, in your home, in your relationships where things might be really hard. And you might have come in here with discouragement and heaviness. And I'm here to tell you today, Jesus has come to meet you here today. And today is for you. Now, usually what we do is we talk a little bit and then we get into our passage. I'm just going to dive right on in today. The passage that we're going to be looking at is the classic Christmas passage. It's Luke chapter 2. Verses 1 through 20, so if you have your Bibles, you can open them now, or your Bible app, or the COH app, however you do that, or it'll be on the screen. We encourage you to do that. So this is Luke chapter 2, verse 1, and a word of hope for hurting hearts today. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, 
glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So this is the season of Advent, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, where followers of Jesus remember the reasons for why Jesus came and why he's promised to come again. In fact, in the series, we're calling it Come Home. Jesus left his home so you could come home. And so in the first week of Advent, we lit the candle of light. And we said Jesus left his home so that we could know who God is and what God is like. In the second week of Advent, we lit the candle of hope, remembering that Jesus left his home so that you and I could have hope in impossible situations. Last week, we talked about the candle of forgiveness. Now Jesus left his home to save us from our sin. And then today... It's the candle of joy. And we remember that Jesus left his home so that even in our difficulties, we can remember that there's a greater plan and a bigger picture at work. And this brings us joy. Would you pray with me? Jesus, one of the reasons that uh, I love you and worship you and we all do here uh, is, Lord, your word says that you are the one who knows the word that sustains the weary. So I pray this morning that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak into hearts and lives um, a word that would sustain people, a word that would encourage people, a word that would fill up empty cups and empty hearts in this room. And online here today, come Holy Spirit and do only what you can do, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Okay, so what we just read is Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. If you're new to the Bible, uh, the gospel of Luke was written by a man named Luke. He was a medical doctor and he was commissioned to write this book. It wasn't a hobby of his. Somebody commissioned him to do really like investigative journalism about the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, Luke, being a good investigative journalist, went all the way to the beginning, to Jesus' uh, birth, his origin story, so to say, uh, of what happened early in his life, what happened with his family, how all those events came to be. And what Luke tells us is really the catalyst for all these events around the birth of Jesus was the census that was taken in the ancient world. Ancient Roman historian Suetonius, say that three times as fast, Suetonius recorded that Caesar Augustus used to brag that when he came into power, Rome was a city made of brick. But when he was done with his rule, Rome was made out of marble. Now, how did in one Caesar's reign, in one emperor's reign, 
Rome go to such another level of prosperity and wealth and success? Well, it's because largely part the census. See, if you have a greater count and a greater understanding of the citizens in your empire, you have more people to tax. And see what I mean there? Ha 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 ha. Now, so there's greater taxation. There's also a greater way for understanding how to build the Roman military, the Roman army. You can inscript more people into military. This is how they expanded the Roman empire was through census. Now, Mary was nine months pregnant, and this census could not have come at a worse time. It's not like for us with jury duty when you can postpone it and say, actually, can I come to the next one? No, everyone had to do this or else. Now, according to Google, (laughs) Nazareth is about 90 miles north of Bethlehem. And when I punched it in on Google Maps, that is 31 hours of walking. No duh, Mary went into labor in Bethlehem, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so to make matters worse, there's no room left anywhere in this very small suburb of Jerusalem, Bethlehem. All the rooms are taken, no hotels, no motels, no Airbnbs, no VRBOs, nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. It's worst case scenario for them. She's about to have a baby. Everything's falling apart. And so they have to have a baby. Mary gives birth to a baby in a stable or a small cave outside of somebody's home where they keep their livestock. Can you even imagine? Many of you know my wife and I just had a baby two months ago. The hospital where Leah had our baby at, we researched. Yeah, we picked a great hospital that our doctors are at, and we love the staff and think they're great. We also picked one with the newly renovated maternity wing. (laughs) It was nice. Big factor in why we went there. Mary gave birth in a stable. Think of the smells. Think of the, how unsanitary it must have been. This is worst case scenario that they had to travel. She had to give birth in a separate town. Who knows if they had the help they needed and the setting that they were in. They must have been utterly, completely discouraged. Now, what I couldn't help but notice in the passage when I was doing my research and my preparation for uh, this message and just kind of sitting in this scripture, I noticed a lot the manger. Now, this manger, this word shows up three times in these short few verses. And I began to see very clearly in in this passage of how the manger in a huge way resembles how God works in people's lives when things are hard, when life is tough, this is a wonderful symbol of the beautiful things that God does when the world all around us is ugly. Now, the problem is that I think a lot of people misunderstand how God works when life is hard. A lot of people like to say these um, what sound like spiritual statements, what sound like faith-filled statements, and they mean well and they're well-intentioned, and it's not entirely false or wrong, but it's not helpful. They see things like this. When life is hard, they go, well, God is in control. God is in control. When everything seems out of control and crazy, God is in control. Another way to say this is people sometimes say everything happens for a reason. Anybody of you ever said that before? I mean, I know I've said it before, right? So there's no judgment here if you say that. It's not like I'm looking at you. You say this. We're not doing that. But a lot of us have said things or think things like this, right? Here's the only issue with that. It's really problematic. 
when you say things like God is in control and life is hard. Let me explain. Sometimes there's a book that I reference from time to time that offers a purely hypothetical, okay? This is a pretend hypothetical scenario, but it's tragic and it does happen in real life. So this book references this and lifts it up as a hypothetical. Let's say while driving drunk, a person hits and kills a little girl. Horrible, horrible. Now, a Christian friend of the girl's parents tries to comfort them by reassuring them that God is in control and that somehow all things work together for good. The mother is comforted by these words, but the father becomes absolutely enraged. He would go on to say, if God is behind my little girl's death, then he's not all loving and he is not all good. God is a monster. Any God who would purposely snuff out our little girl's life and leave us in this nightmare is a cruel kind of God. So when people say sometimes God is in control when life is hard, it's philosophically problematic. And beyond even just thinking philosophically about it, I bet some of you have had people say stuff like that to you when people were trying to help and they were meaning well, but it made it worse. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not only philosophically problematic. Guys, it's, it's not really in the Bible. In fact, the Bible says something very different. This comes from the New Testament. This is Jesus' earthly best friend, John. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, he writes this. We know that we are children of God. And look at this. And the whole world is under the control of the evil one? That is like a completely opposite picture, but it sure makes a lot more sense for the world. Why is the world the way it is? Is it God's fault because God is in control and he's got the whole world in his hands? I don't think so. I think the picture that the Bible paints of our world and why things are the way they are is because of my sin, your sin, other people's sins. We're all a bunch of sinners in here, okay? You didn't come to church with a Bible-thumping preacher and go, you dirty sinners, because I'm a dirty sinner right up here too with you. Okay? It's our, our collective sin. And when all of our collective sins together build systems and societies, bad things happen. And not only on top of that, the Bible gives a worldview that there's not only an ultimate good, a spirit of God who is a trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work in the world. There's also spiritual forces of evil at work in the world to steal and kill and destroy. And so when things are going bad and when life is difficult and life is painful, I don't think it's God's fault. I think it's our fault. And I think it's the devil's fault. And we're passing the buck off to the wrong person. Does that make sense? Amen. Yeah. So it's not helpful to say God is in control. What is more of a biblical, theologically accurate thing to say is God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Now, what does that mean? Sovereignty is the idea around God is king. And really what it's saying is when we say God is sovereign, we're saying God is all-powerful and is the ruler of the universe. Now, very faithful followers of Jesus understand this concept of God's sovereignty in different ways. And so we can have disagreements about this. We'll all still be in heaven together. It's okay. But for us at our church, here's how we understand sovereignty. We don't think God exercises his all-powerful, omnipotent nature through controlling everything. We don't think that's what he does. We believe 
that God exerts his sovereignty, not by control, but with his infinite intelligence, working and maneuvering his plan throughout our broken world to bring about redemption and healing and restoration in the world. That's what we mean by God is sovereign. God is not in control of the world. God has come to invade our broken world to save it. And the invasion point is the manger. The manger is God's Normandy beach. The manger is God's D-Day. The manger is the point when God inserted himself, not a servant, not an angel, not any other person, but himself, God in human flesh, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus of Nazareth, as a baby born in a manger, is the way where he's saying, I've come to invade your broken world in order to save your broken world. And so in so many ways, I see this little manger as a perfect symbol of how God works when life is broken and hard and painful. So here's some of the things I see. If you're taking notes, write this down. I see it this way first. That what is difficult for humanity is often God's opportunity to show off. What is difficult for humanity is an opportunity for God to show off. Here's what I mean by that. The first mention of the manger is Joseph and Mary literally having just given birth. Well, not Joseph and Mary. I should say Mary has just given birth. Anybody ever said, my wife and I had a baby? No, she had the baby. <laughs> and all the ladies said, okay, great, yeah. Now, Mary has literally just given birth to Jesus, and she and Joseph are there, and she's just given birth to the Son of God, and she's laying him in a manger. Luke 2, 7, it says this here. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there's no guest room available for them. Now, let's remember that we should not romanticize a manger because most people, when you hear the word manger, you think of Jesus's bassinet. When people think of manger, nobody has ever actually thought of what literally manger is. Every time anybody says manger, they go, baby, Jesus is bed. And who doesn't love this, right? Mangers are things you buy at Hobby Lobby. It's rustic farmhouse. Joanna Gaines would love this. It's perfect. <laughs> but that is completely not what it is. A manger is not an ancient bassinet. It's not. It's not. Now, in today's day and age, in 2021, in the 21st century, um, people have become very creative with all sorts of ways where they do bassinets for kids, and that stuff is really high-end and really cool. Now, in fact, here's the picture of the highest, coolest um, bassinet I can find. This is called the Snoo Smart Sleeper Bassinet. Okay, now some of you may have this, so there's no judgment here, but this thing has been perfectly engineered that will rock your baby that will kind of gently shake your baby, that will shuffle your baby, that will sing to your baby, and may or may not change their diapers. I don't know. But this is promised to give your baby the best night of sleep any baby has ever had ever in the history of the world, and it could be yours for just $1,600. Woo! Now, no judgment for anybody who has that good on you. For me, we're kind of on our fourth kid. Our kind of posture of parenting at this point is, what's that? Susanna wants the sandwich on the floor. How long has it been on there? An hour? That's oh, okay. She can eat it. You know. 
That's just, that's just where we're at. Kid number four, it's different. It's different. So a manger is not an ancient bassinet. It's a livestock feeder. It's a trough. Like, it's more like that. That's what it looks like. Go to tractor supply after church and go for a livestock feeder. That's what Jesus was placed in. It's true. If you didn't grow up on a farm or on farm animals, if you grew up more in like suburbia or in an urban center somewhere, kind of like I did, you didn't go up, grow up around animals, think about it this way. It's like an oversized dog food bowl. That's the bed of baby Jesus. It's funny and it's true. It's what animals eat out of. That is the manger. Wow. And so Joseph and Mary are probably wondering after a census that came at the worst possible time that he had to travel 90 miles by foot with his nine-month pregnant wife. Worst timing possible. Worst situation. She's about to go into birth. They're nowhere near whatever team that they had to help Mary with. They're in a strange city. They can't find anywhere to have a baby. There's no room. She has to give birth in a stall. And where they put this baby that they believe is the son of God is in an animal live feeder. Good, or livestock feeder. Good grief. I bet they were thankful that Jesus was born healthy, but they must have been so discouraged, so frustrated. I bet Mary was just over it, and I bet Joseph felt shame as a young dad, feeling like he couldn't provide for Mary and for Jesus. God, what are you doing, and where are you? You ever felt that way? And about they felt that way, like everything was going wrong. Until shepherds showed up and said, angels came and told us to look for a baby in a manger. Is that him? We're here to worship him. I bet they felt discouraged until magi and wise men came offering gold and frankincense and myrrh to worship this Jesus. I bet they were discouraged until they began to find out, oh my gosh, there's like prophecy after prophecy after prophecy being fulfilled. And we're just trying to be young parents and keep everybody alive. I bet they were discouraged until they began to realize that their son would forever be recognized as a friend of the poor because of the type of birth that he had. See, at some point in their discouragement, when all these unbelievable things kept showing up in their difficult situation, I bet at one point Joseph just looked up and God went, all right, now you're just showing off. <laughs> because that's what God does when things are difficult. Oftentimes, he doesn't make it go away. He enters into it to reveal himself to people, to you and to others through the difficulty. And he's come to help. I'm going to show a picture of a, just a beloved family in our church. This is the Payne family. There's Chris and Rachel, Bud and Janice, who they've all just been part of our church forever. Their daughters, June and Lucy, and little boy Eli are brave, brave hero. And Eli is battling an incredibly difficult and very scary diagnosis. And if you know, our church has just put our hands all in around this family. We're, in a, we're loving them and praying for Eli, and we're just getting them through this incredibly difficult season. I know they're here for the last service, but if you guys are listening online, we love you, and we support you, and we are here for you. Amen, church? Amen. 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 Now, let me tell you about them. God keeps showing up. 
in the most incredibly difficult situation. Here's the way God showed off, showed up and showed off this week. Um, they came across some more medical bills, and Rachel's fighting with the insurance company. Isn't that the best? We have to fight with insurance. And after getting the final tally from the insurance company for the most recent medical charges that they have, Chris, her husband that you just saw in the picture, had um, cracked his tooth and had to have an emergency crown last Sunday. Like, when it rains, it pours. You know what I mean? God, where are you? Well, at the same time as they found out all those medical expenses, they ended up being $3,400. Some, a friend of theirs had made t-shirts for Eli and sold them on the internet, and that campaign has wrapped up, and they just let them know, hey, after you know, we took all the costs out, here's the profit that we made that can go to help you guys. All the medical bills and all the extra expenses that had just come in recently, $3,400. The profits from the t-shirts, $3,500. Yeah, now, isn't that cool? Rachel put online, my friends, this is not a coincidence. She shared this on Facebook. It's almost like she's saying, all right, God, now you're just showing off. It couldn't be more difficult. But God's still with them, showing up and showing off in the midst of a messy painful situation. And you know what Rachel did online? It made me cry watching or reading it on Facebook. If you're crying reading Facebook, that's either for a really good reason or a really bad reason. <laughs> um, I cried reading it because after she said, this isn't a coincidence. And then she said, if you don't know, let me tell you about my God. Come to Christmas at Community of Hope so you can learn about his goodness, even when life is, feels like a nightmare. Isn't that powerful? It's powerful. So God sees difficulty as an opportunity for him to show off. Believe he's already at work in your mess, guys, because he is. We also see from a passage that what is belittled by humanity um, is often God's first choice. The second mention of the manger is when the angel appears to the shepherds and tells them how they'll be able to know who this baby is. He says in Luke 2.12 here, he says, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And this was another shocker here if you're not tone deaf to Christmas. Because of all the people an angel could have gone to to appear before them and tell them, the Messiah, the Son of God, is born this day in the town of David. Surely he should have showed up to a prophet. Yeah, or a priest, a professional, spiritual person, like the pastors of that day, surely an angel's going to go talk to them. I mean, they're the most spiritual ones around, right? You know, right? Especially if your job is at church, right? No? Okay, great, cool. Come on now, help me out. I'm making, come on now. So prophets, priests, maybe the king, appeared to king, he'll appear to all sorts of important people. No, he showed up to the bluest of blue-collar people in that society. That's who an angel showed up to in the middle of a midnight shift, in the middle of the night, to blue-collar shepherds who are on the fringes of society, super uncouth, super not really accepted by everybody else, kind of looked down by everybody else. So when we hear about this, we go, shepherds. Every church picture I've ever seen has shepherds in it. So shepherds are awesome. For them, they'll go, ew, shepherds? And that's who God picks to make the birth announcement of Jesus. Way better than Shutterfly. <laughs> and that's who God picks. What we belittle and put down, that's what God picks first. Super cool thing happened in the sports world. 
about two weeks ago, there was um, a JV basketball team, like high school freshmen in Michigan, who were starting a text thread at the beginning of their season. And one of the kids was trying to get his teammates' phone numbers on his phone to talk about the games and the travel schedule and practice and yada, yada, yada. And the kid punched in one of the numbers and got one digit on one of the phone numbers wrong and sent out the group text. Well, one of the, his friends replied back going, hey, um, I'm not your friend Matt from the team. This is Sean. Who's this? And the kid goes, Matt, come on, you're just messing with us. You're not Sean. And the person texted back, no, I'm not Matt. My name is Sean Murphy Bunting. I'm a starting cornerback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. (laughs) And they're like, Matt, shut it. No, you're not. You're just messing with us. So Sean Murphy Bunting, starting cornerback for the Bucs, sent a selfie of him in his locker room and sent it to the guys. And they're like, man, you're totally just messing with us, Matt. So Sean Murphy Bunting went, fine, and hit FaceTime, and he FaceTimed these (laughs) JV basketball kids in Michigan, right? And so he started like, oh my gosh, and so he passes the phone to Leonard Fournette, who's known as Playoff Lenny or Lombardi Lenny, and then he passes the phone to all-world wide receiver Mike Evans. Then the phone gets passed to future Hall of Famer, the Gronk himself, Rob Gronkowski, and then lo and behold, after all of that, they pass the phone to the GOAT himself, and Tom Brady FaceTimes with these JV freshmen. (laughs) Hell yeah. Look at those kids freaking out, man. You can hear the slurping through the braces. Oh my gosh. It's so cool. It's awesome, right? So cool. I mean, it's like super gracious that these pro athletes, man, everyone knows I'm a Bucks fan, so it's a cool thing for me. But it's super cool, these pro athletes to give their time to these JV kids. It's just really cool and really neat. But make no mistake, it was an accident. Tom Brady is not trying to find time to FaceTime JV high school kids. He was gracious when it happened on accident. But it wasn't by design. But when God talks to what the rest of the world belittles, when God talks to the JV squad, when God talks to the shepherds, it's completely on purpose. Yeah. First Corinthians 1.27 says this, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. This is what God does. What we belittle is God's first round draft pick. And what I'm here to tell you in your difficulty and your pain, if life is hard, if you don't feel good enough, Jesus would have to tell you something different. He says, actually, I pick you. It's what he's been doing throughout the whole Bible. Jesus' great, 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 great grandfather, David, man, they tried to pick all of his brothers before then. They didn't even ask him to come see if he was going to be the one anointed to be king. And God picked the least, the last, the smallest, and the least likely to go, you will be king and you will be the grandfather to my son. And so if you don't feel good enough, I'm here to tell you God picks you. He picks you to use you. And in your painful situation, let God surprise you with who he picks to help you. It just might be a bunch of shepherds. Don't miss it. So there's one more mention of this unbelievable sign of God's work in pain and difficulty. 
And it's this, that what humanity, what's broken for humanity is God seeing an opportunity to redeem, to redeem. Last verse that we're going to reference here is 15, Luke 2, 15 and 16. It says, when the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Now, um, we've seen that scene a million times. We make nativity scenes out of that. We make decals that kids do coloring books out of that. To us, it's beautiful because there's been 2,000 years of Christian art around it. But let me tell you, when the shepherds go, we've come to see the Messiah, the Son of God, in here? Why is he lying in a livestock feeder? His parents are poor teenagers. There's farm animals all around. Oh my gosh, the smell. What is going on? Nothing is right about this picture at all. His most honored guest is not a royal court. It's the bluest of blue collar in ancient Israel. Everything is wrong about this picture. It looks broken. Why aren't you in a, why are you here? Why aren't you in a room? Why are you in a stable? Why aren't you people more important? Why isn't the situation better? Why does the situation look so broken? Why does it look so bleak? Why is the situation so messy? And in the middle of all this mess is God in human flesh for the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Right in the middle of the mess. If life is hard, and you're wondering, God, where are you? Let me tell you, he's right in the middle of your mess with you. He's not far off. He's right with you. If you have eyes to see it, if you believe it. Jesus' name is Emmanuel, which means God, what? Us. And he's with you. And he's come right in the middle of what's broken in your life to heal it, to redeem it. Maybe he's come right in the middle of what's broken in the mess you're in to change you, to challenge you, to grow you. Maybe he's there to do that, but I promise you, he didn't leave you. He's right with you. If you want to know where he is, Look right with you now. That's where he is. So all that we're supposed to do with today is this. Believe the truth that he's with you. Believe that he's looking for ways to show up and show off in your life. Believe that he's come to pick you to do good. Believe that he's come to heal what's broken and redeem all the pain that's going on in your life. You're not alone. Would you pray with me? Lord, when I'm praying, I'm just getting a picture of an empty cup. And I want to pray for the person who's got nothing left. I want to pray for the person who came here today or streaming online and feeling completely empty on the inside. They've got no love left. They've got no hope left. They've got no peace left. They've got nothing left. And you are their only hope. You're the God who sustains the weary. So with your spirit, would you come now and fill every empty cup that's listening to the sound of my voice. 
and restore hope and restore joy that even in pain, you're here. And that brings us joy, which is deeper than happiness. Would you do it? We ask this in your name and everybody said, amen. The band's gonna play and lead us in a song. Now's a perfect time to respond to what God is doing in your life. You know, in closing here, I wanna read to you just one more little passage from the very end of our story. It comes from Luke 2. It says here, when they had seen him, these shepherds, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. As soon as they came to the manger, they couldn't help it. They had to go tell everybody about what God had done, how God had showed up and showed off. And here he's come to redeem what's broken. And so my prayer for you is two things. One, if life is hard right now and you're going through some tough times, we have prayer teams available up at the front here. Come get some prayer. They have listening ears and they'll listen to you and pray for you, whatever you're going through. Come do that. And I want you to go out from this place and tell everybody about this Jesus who's been born. Christmas is coming. It's Thursday the 23rd and the 24th. We hope to see there one of those services. Invite people to come with you. Next Sunday on the 26th, it's online only. So if you come here next Sunday, you'll be by yourself. (laughs) So, but we'll still have services online. We encourage you to do that. So friends, go tell everybody about Jesus. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next week.